Today on the Travel Guys. In the travel news, Ireland gets its first Krispy Kreme to more fanfare than they can deal with. And the CEO, excuse me, and the CEO at American Airlines, you sound like Homer Simpson, uh, the CEO at American Airlines argues seats with less legroom are actually more comfortable. Perhaps I should repeat that just to make sure that you understand what I said. The CEO at American Airlines argues that seats with less legroom are actually more comfortable. And an update on the Marriott strike strike situation around the country. Yeah, of course they're more comfortable. Yes, absolutely. One of our goals here on the Travel Guys is to make uh, you smarter travelers. So one way to do that is to improve your travel literacy so that you can avoid problems on the road. So at 320, Chris Elliott joins us to share some of the ways that you can improve your travel literacy. There is a fungus among us. I just love saying that. It's also a way to introduce our guest at 335. Travis Scott is the executive director at Visit Mendocino County, and he's stopping by to talk about a mushroom festival. Shrooms for all from another time and another place. You know, more people are hitting the road on vacation, long trips, short trips, and you're going to travel in one of those newfangled automobile contraptions, uh, you should know some important tips on avoiding and getting out of trouble. Now, uh-huh. of course, this list is from uh, 1914. Ah. Tips for traveling the Lincoln Highway 100 years ago, coming up at 3.50. It's Sunday. The clock says just past 3 o'clock. Must be time for the latest updates and general craziness from the Travel Guys. On the road again. Welcome, everyone, to another edition of the Travel and Entertainment Guys. Thank you so much for joining us. We're brought to you by Sports Leisure Vacations. It's a blustery Sunday afternoon. Boy, I'll tell you, Mark, I don't know about you, but it's sure feeling a lot like fall. Got leaves and stuff blowing everywhere. It is. It is. It is a very fall-like day. I have just come home from someplace that I almost said where it is that I came home from. Mm-hmm. But as I told you before we went on the air, don't ask me where I've been this week because I've been out checking out a couple of the mystery tours that Sports Leisure Vacations offers. And therefore, as part of that arrangement, I can't tell people where it is that I was out checking out. So until that's after gotta, they go. You, that's got to be tough. You know, I mean, you go there, you Make all the arrangements or whatever. Plan out the mystery trip. And, well, yeah, I and mean, you, and then you got to you got to hold that, especially because one of these places had some really cool things, and you know, you you want to come home and drop those things into conversation, but you have to be careful who you're talking to because you might very well be talking to somebody who's going on one of those. Trips. Right. Well, when you were a kid, was it were you good at being able to keep secrets? Was I? Yeah. yeah. It was the people that I told things to that couldn't keep the secrets. <laughs> I was always really good at keeping the secrets myself. Listen, um, I, I, so I really haven't, I haven't been any place I can talk about. Uh, so where have you been? I understand you went to one of our our, our 
our guest locations. Right, right. We've had uh, the in-town campground folks on uh, just recently. The glampers. That's right. And they they got the the glamping tents. And I I finally... uh, Decided it was time to uh, to go camping, or in this case, go glamping. I went with my wife, and my uh, daughter and son-in-law came along. We each had our own separate glamping tent. Uh, uh, they provided us with a nice little fire pit that we fired up in the evening, and mm-hmm. we toasted marshmallows. I discovered two things about glamping, okay? okay. And, and it's sort of glamping, camping. Number one... You know, uh, and people that listen to me can probably tell I'm kind of a loud person, okay? You know, radio people have kind of loud voices. I see. It's, it's, I don't know if it's the projecting thing that we do, mm-hmm. but when it gets to be about, you know, 10 o'clock at a campground, <laughs> it's not like, you know, bring out the car and let's sing around. Everybody is friggin' gone to bed. And so we're sitting around, you know, toasting marshmallows, and, and I'm talking like this, and my daughter and my wife are going, shh, shh, whisper, whisper. You're, but you're in, in your you're, you're outdoor, your indoor voice. Yeah, indoor voice. Even, even if I went beyond a whisper just to like this, I was uh-huh. still too loud. Yeah. And and they actually have uh, guards on the campgrounds that wander around, make sure everybody is safe. And uh, Ken came by and visited with us, and, and he, pointed it, he pointed that out. That after a certain time, you know, uh-huh. we got to kind of keep it down. So he, so he and it was difficult. I, I thought I, I just might as well go to bed <laughs> because I cannot, <laughs> poor, I cannot be quiet. Stephanie. Yeah. She, she has, everybody has their cross to bear. Right. And hers is the radio announcer the, the that travels loud, with her yeah, everywhere he goes. The loud guy. And then the, the other thing I, I want to make sure people understand the uh, that, that may want to do glamping because it's kind of a luxury version of camping. Uh-huh. You've got... Uh, uh, a solid tent with a hardwood floor, and you got a bed that's on a pedestal, and you got electricity. And in fact, the bed even had a heating pad on it, so you could flip it on and warm it up. But one thing, you know, that you, you want to make sure that you're not misunderstanding is it is still a tent, and it does have little cracks and crevices where creepy crawly things can still. Uh, get into your tent. So uh-huh. glamping. So you and Howie Mandel yes. are not exactly a hundred percent down with. Yeah, I. You know, uh, yeah, I. I yeah. pull back the covers and check for things, and uh-huh. yeah, there was a couple of things, and we had to get rid of those. <laughs> were, were, were they small things? Yeah, they, they, they were. One was small. One was rather large. <laughs> Oh God! Are you familiar with a cowboy spider? <laughs> and the thing is, I'm laughing at you, but only, I'm only laughing at you because I even glamping would be for me. Uh, to me, staying in an inexpensive hotel is practically camping. <laughs> That's roughing. That's enough. roughing it enough. Yeah, you know. I mean, like I, I, I was just in this hotel. New hotels now are one of the millennial things is hardwood floors in hotels. Also, it's easier to keep clean mm-hmm. and it's cheaper to, to make for maintenance and stuff like that and so i just happened to be two different entirely different brands in two entirely different cities and they both had hardwood floors really i've never had and one of those yet so it's just it's weird in that you know it's it's weird in the night yeah cold cold on your it's, feet it is it is when you're not used to that sort of thing it's just it's just i don't know i mean but, uh, I, you're right though it would be a lot easier to keep clean and if you're someone that wonders if there was something yucky on your carpet before you got there right you don't have to worry about that well anymore. but of course it was something it's, that's right because if it's a floor and it was yucky they've cleaned it up it was the carpet it went into the carpet and now you're walking on it and yes. it's so the reality is that the floor 
is actually better. And that's what I kept telling myself over five or <laughs> six days. If we don't get the travel news in here, we're going to run out of time to do it. Okay. With that being said, at the top of every Travel Guys radio show, ladies and gentlemen, we're bringing you up to date on what's new in the travel well, news. whenever we get around to it, Somewhere I mentioned it. in the headlines that the first Krispy Kreme, Tom, opened in Ireland. Mm. And yes, and so they opened up, and the idea was that this Krispy Kreme was going to be a 24-7 365 sort of affair, and they put it in a shopping mall, and guess what happened? Well, the shopping mall closed at 10 o'clock, and that was it. Uh, well, uh, people who lived near the shopping mall kind of hoped that that was it. Uh, the response was so overwhelming that the traffic jams existed oh 24 hours a day. Oh, so they were the, open 24 hour in the shopping mall. And, it, and it, the yes. noise, and it was Dublin's 20, there was a 24-hour drive through in in Dublin, and so they shut down. Uh, they changed the business model of the store so that it's now closed from ten until six in the morning because the area just couldn't handle. I mean, there were complaints from neighbors about right. the noise. They, could, they couldn't get them to use their indoor voice. They could <laughs> exactly. Hey, I need a, a twelve pack of them Krispy Kremes over here. Exactly. <laughs> Oh, did you hear the one about the uh, American Airlines CEO who said that re- the the seats with less seat pitch, in other words, less room between the seats, are much more comfortable? I, I heard that, and uh, I'm waiting to hear the rest of that, because the, there's nothing about that that makes any that sense. That makes any sense, exactly. He says, uh, Doug Parker is a gentleman's name. Uh, he used to be the CEO at U.S. Airways, and now he's at American Airlines. And he told industry insiders that new aircraft cabins with drastically reduced seat, pitch seat configurations are more comfortable than many of the economy class cabins with greater seat pitch in service today. He lamented that if the flying public better understood the concept of seat pitch, passengers might be more aware of how much more comfortable and experience the seater, tighter seating plans provide. Seat pitch, is that like, uh, you know, like when you're singing, you're either in tune or you're out of tune? Well, a seat pitch is actually, if you measure from the front of your seat to the front of the next seat, that's the pitch. That's how much space there is. And generally, uh, pitch in the old days was 34, 35 inches. Now you pay extra money to get that kind of pitch. Now Southwest is 32. Most airlines are 31. American has cut down to 30 and has three rows on their new planes, apparently, that are going to be, even though they promised but, this wasn't going to happen, but how 29 can less, inches. How can less leg room actually be more comfortable? Oh, Tom, <laughs> how... How dare you doubt Mr. Parker? I'm sure he knows exactly what he's talking about. In fact, I'm sure he flies in those very small seat pitch, crammed together pieces of human catastrophe on a... I bet you he's never sat in one in his entire life. And he's CEO of the... I bet you. A nickel to a Krispy Kreme donut from Dublin that he's never sat in one of them his whole life. Southwest Airlines Hawaii update is that there's not much update yet. On the Southwest flights, we're all waiting. We've got our best scouts on looking at it there. Um, we, 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 we still expect that Southwest flights may start before the end of November. And you say, well, but we're already in October. How could that possibly be? Well, uh, if you offer seats set whatever price, I mean, there's a point at which people will drop everything and go to Hawaii. Well, you got a lot of folks here in California. Mm-hmm. I'm one of them. That's it. That has that companion deal that Southwest offered us uh-huh. for, for 2018. That's very true. And we're 
sitting on them, waiting, hoping that we can uh, activate that before uh, December 31st. So. Southwest says they're still going to do inner island service, although not at the very beginning. They say that they're not changing their fee structure. They're not going to charge for baggage. The legroom is still going to be the 32 inches that they use on their mainland flights. Um, yes, they're going to have food, but they haven't all worked that out yet. In the four major California cities, they're going to be first. And we're watching. I get lots of folks who write to us at TravelGuysRadio.com and ask us all the time if we know when that's going to happen. And so I'm just telling you that that's all that we know for now. But we're watching very carefully. There are some parking lot improvements going on at Sacramento International Airport. The economy lot, which is the cheapest place to park out there, some of it is paved. And some of it is unpaved. And in the winter, the portion of the lot that is unpaved can be a little yucky uh, when it rains. Well, let me tell you this. Mm -hmm. During Christmas, I parked in that particular lot. And, of course, at Christmas, you can imagine every space was taken Mm -hmm. except for the one in the really deep puddle. (laughs) I took it, Uh rolled up my uh, pants, and... Uh That's where my car stayed for the week while we were in San Antonio. So if they pave it, the mud puddle parking spot that nobody wants will no longer exist. Will no longer just, be. So just a warning they, to... If, for those the, who share that mud puddle spot with you, Yes, they that one could be gone. So how long is this going to take? It's going to take a few months. It means that part of the economy lot will be closed on a kind of a rotating basis while they put down new asphalt and paint. Uh, so once they complete it, of course, it will be better. Uh, during the meantime, there's an overflow lot that they use during the holiday periods, which will be open. I saw that uh, in operation. I came back home yesterday afternoon, so I saw that in operation out there. What this really means is that the lecture we always give you about, please go to the airport a little bit earlier than you were thinking of going, just so that you'll allow for that unusual thing that you didn't expect to happen. This is one of those unusual things. You go to the airport, the lot you normally park in is full. The lot you would then park in is also full, so now you have to drive around the terminal two extra times, and it takes an extra 15 minutes, and because you cut it to the bone, you don't have those 15 minutes, and now it's a problem. So um, this is another reason. There's a little bit of a parking issue, especially if you'd like to park in the cheap lots. You say, well, I park in the garage. This won't affect me, but it might because some of the people who park in the cheap lot will end up in the garage, and then that they may be, as Tom noted, in your space where the mud puddle is, and then you'll have to find another space. So please do us all a favor. And there's some other stuff, but I'll try to work that in later in the show, because otherwise we'll never get to Christopher Elliott. And that's your travel news for today. And Chris Elliott joins us next. Make you a smarter traveler and improve your travel literacy. That's next. We're back. It's Mark and Tom, the Travel Guys, and brought to you by Sports Leisure Vacations. And uh, back with us, and live for no less, on a Sunday. My gosh, Chris Elliott's life must be in shambles to have extra time to join us, the Travel Guys on on Sunday. Chris, welcome. I was just desperately during that commercial break here on my phone trying to find the travel section in the newspaper so I could tell people where your travel column is because it's always in the newspaper on in the Sacramento Bee on Sundays and it's always on the in the travel section and of course as luck would have it um, I didn't quite make it in time but anyways if you look in the travel section you'll probably find Mr. Elliott's column how are you Christopher I am doing great how about you guys Uh, I think we're fair to fair to Midland at least I see that you're considering writing a new book 
new travel yes. advocacy book. Yes, I am. Uh, it, it's, this will be my third book, and I'm still in the very early stage, but it's going to be kind of an autobiographical look at what has happened to customer service in the 30 years since I've started covering consumer advocacy issues, and I'm really, really excited. I think this is going to be great, and we might even be able to, you know, um, write the narrative that changes the way people are treated, hopefully. Well, I thought it was pretty interesting that uh, you one of the few people, one of the few authors I know that asked the people who already read his writings what should be in the book and what might be some potential topics and things like that. I thought that was kind of a uh, an interesting approach on your part. Uh, you wrote a article about travel literacy. And because here on this program, one of the things that we kind of try to do is give people some tidbits from time to time that we hope will make them a little bit smarter when they get out on the road. So I thought that your column about uh, travel literacy, and one of the things that you did was, Chris, when you started out, you you split travel literacy into two categories. You said most of it falls into how the understanding how the travel industry works with often arcane rules and restrictions and being aware of cultures and customs, and one is easier to overcome and one isn't. Explain to us a little bit about what you consider the two categories of travel literacy. Yeah, sure. And by the way, the thing you were talking about before, it's called crowdsourcing. I love it. I love asking people what I should write because they always know. I have no idea what to write sometimes. But on this particular one, that column just wrote itself. And I'll tell you why. This is the time when you know all our summer vacations are over. And we're thinking about our holiday, winter holiday vacations, spring break, maybe even looking forward to next summer. And so uh, we're, we're wondering how maybe we can prevent some of the mistakes happening from that happen over the summer. And you're absolutely right. There are two different types of literacy. The easy stuff is uh, figuring out these, these rules because there really aren't that many to learn. And you can, you can always um, read the terms and conditions. I know that I sound like a broken record because I've been on your show before and I've said this before. But really, uh, taking the time to understand the travel product, knowing that if you buy a, an airline ticket now, it doesn't come with everything. It doesn't come, for example, with your ability to make a seat reservation usually, or even in some cases, the ability to take a, a bag on the plane with you, not just to check a bag, but to take one with you. That kind of thing can be fixed pretty easily. The other stuff that I talk about in this column, which is cultural, um, you know, Understanding culture, understanding um, the the, uh, the dangers that might await you at a destination, um, maybe even just uh, understanding the country itself that you're visiting if you're visiting a different country. All that that takes time. That takes a lot of effort, and uh, so I spend a lot of time in my column in the Washington Post talking about that. Perhaps one of the reasons that the late Anthony Bourdain's show was so popular because of the fact that he kind of. It kind of showed people what it was like to sit down and break bread with somebody locally, which I think ultimately is, is people's goals when they're traveling. Tom, you, you had a thought about the, the literacy here that, to ask Chris about. I did, Chris. Uh, based on uh, your research so far and uh, uh, your cloud sourcing, uh, what is it that you feel that travelers are most illiterate, illiterate about? Well, because I do the uh, advocacy part, um, I find that people don't take the time to really read what they're buying. So they have no idea. I mean, I just had a, a case w where someone didn't bother to even ask her travel agent for 
the itinerary and didn't look up the itinerary until months later, only to realize that she was flying out on the wrong day and it was just a real mess. So, uh, so as far as I'm concerned, if people read the terms and conditions, that would be the number one mistake that people make. The rest takes time. You know, like I said, I lived in Europe for 16 years and I, I saw people who would come over uh, to, they would move to, um, to Europe and they would, it, it would take them literally years before they fully understood. And I, w- I would use that term kind of with, with reservations because people don't ever really fully understand any culture. But, um, but it would take them a long time before they really grasp, uh, you know, what people meant when they said a certain thing, that kind of thing. Um, so that, that can take a while. And Chris, uh, if, if somebody is, tra- is getting ready to travel to a foreign country they've never been to before, a particular source that you would suggest? Uh, oh, wow. There's, um, well, we're, we're talking about language. Duolingo is a really great program that lets you learn a language, uh, just the, the basics. I think that's really important to know how to say yes, no, and where's the bathroom in, in another language. Um, State Department advisory website, really important. You know, they have levels from one to four, uh, one being safe to travel, four, no go. And it's real important if you're concerned about safety, which you should be, uh, is going to the State Department website and looking all that up. Also, some visa requirements are on that site, passport requirements. You need to know those before you're leaving the country. All those things are really key because, uh, you know, we as Americans tend to take a lot of things for granted. And, uh, you know, one of the things is safety. Uh, You can't take that for granted when you're going overseas. Chris, uh, thank you very much for your insights today. We're up against the clock. Appreciate you taking some time to join us on a Sunday. Christopher Elliott, you can find him at Elliott.org. You can also find him in the travel on the travel page of the Sunday Sacramento Bee. We'll be back after the news talking mushrooms with you in Mendocino County on the Travel Guys. Welcome, everyone. You have the travel and entertainment guys on KFBK every Sunday, 3 o'clock. By the way, you can follow along with uh, pretty much everything at uh, TravelGuysRadio.com. Links to our guests are there, including a link to the Mendocino County Mushroom Wine and Beer Festival. Yep. And our special guest on the line is not on the line. He had, we, we hasn't called yet. He so hasn't. If no. he's listening, if he's listening to us in Mendocino, yeah. you need to call. <laughs> you think like so? Like now. You think, you think so? Yeah. Uh, well, uh, that, but if these things happen, in, well, when, you when, know, especially when, when you have live radio. It's winter rains, Mark, uh-huh. that uh, you generally signal the beginning of the uh, North Coast's uh, Astonishing if, mushroom if you, season. Are you reading off of the? the no, press no, no, no. This is just stuff I know. <laughs> Mendocino region. You know, it, it's literally home to like three. Did you know there are three thousand varieties, uh, and many of them are edible. Uh, why? Why are we waiting for this gentleman, Travis Scott, to call when you apparently know all? You know, there's the rare candy, about. the candy cap mushroom. It's intense. Got an intense maple flavor. Uh huh. And, and, a, and a really sweet fragrance. Uh, do you like mushrooms? I, well, uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, is that incriminating? No, no. Uh, you're talking about not those <laughs> kind of mushrooms. <laughs> I, I don't know if people still do that anymore. I, I, I don't Th- know if that's, they do. That's, of course, most people's biggest fear. So back is from my that, childhood. Is that either it's going to be psychedelic or it could be poisonous. You just don't randomly go pick out I mushrooms get mine, in the yard. I get mine at Rayleigh's in Bel Air, so I feel fairly safe and I want you to. I want you to say the, uh, the, the, you know, the line that you enjoyed saying the most at the beginning uh, of the tease there. Okay. Uh, the, uh, that, uh, 
Oh, the one about uh, shrooms, about uh, yeah, the, yeah, the fungus, the fungus among. There's a fungus among us. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, uh, they're having a mushroom festival. Yes, up in Mendocino County. Uh, they, they have the theme dinners. It's the first time that they've done this. They're having like fifty different mush, and it's th- oh, it's over two weekends. It's November second through the eleventh. So they're basically there's there's they've never done this before. You Good know, idea. They've got all kinds of stuff. Yes, you were about they, to say. They have. They have. And it's not just about eating mushrooms. They actually have guided mushroom foraging. That's what you call when you go out and you 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 dig up mushrooms. I and assume you find people them. who will tell you what which mushrooms are Absolutely. going to kill you and, and which and, ones are not. And themed rides on the uh, on the skunk train it, right out of Fort Bragg and uh, Willits. Well, and here's a little river in annual mushroom and Belgian beer dinner. Um, the beleaguered, beleaguered pig and Pegasus farms, the pig teams up with Pegasus farms and other foragers and local winemakers for a fermented foraged and fungi five course repast. There you go. You know, I only know how to cook one way, uh, sauteed mushrooms. That's, that's pretty much it. And throw it on my steak or whatever. And, and when you go to the uh, mushroom festival, you can, uh, take some cooking classes and, uh-huh. uh, and, uh, and they have music and exhibits. And if you are somebody who is interested in the Fungus Festival, the Fungus Among Us, the Fungus Among Us yes. Festival in Mendocino, it's two weekends long in early November. You could go to travelguysradio.com. There would be a link there to all of these. They've got over 50 different events, and it looks like a lot of them are foodie oriented. So if you are a foodie person who enjoys mushrooms, then this is probably. About as close to your thing as you're going to get. Besides that, what are you going to be doing the first two weekends of November? I will suggest you this is a perfect time for a mushroom festival there because there's nobody else has anything to do. I like um, mushrooms that are stuffed with stuff and then baked like, you know, crab <laughs> or shrimp. Ooh. That's very good that way. I have a couple of news items here since our fungus guy didn't uh, call in or has not has not reached us yet. I'm looking over there in Luis's shaking his head so um listen but, but he does that quite frequently he, he, it's, he does new but there. he's he's been the board operator for the travel guys for a number of years and that would cause just about any sane person to shake their head i'm sure on occasion and they just a twitch <laughs> yeah he didn't have that twitch i don't think before he no. started the travel no. guys thing yeah um we talked in the headlines about marriott hotels this is kind of important because if you're a road warrior like myself uh and you're out on the road a lot you may find yourself in Marriott hotels, and they've been having some kind of wildcat strikes. Um, they had a hotel worker strikes at 26 properties in Chicago, Marriott, Hilton, and Hyatt properties. Um, in Boston, uh, 1,500 Marriott workers walked off the jobs at seven properties, uh, all the way up to uh, Ritz-Carlton. So it included housekeepers, bellmen, bartenders, and others. I'm going to suggest to you that without housekeepers, um, things deteriorated hotels really quickly. So uh, management people are not, we're, we're not good housekeepers to start with, and they don't make good replacement housekeepers. So when you see a hotel that's having a housekeeping strike, you can bet that within two or three days, things in the hotel that get done on a regular basis are not going to get done. You probably, you probably don't want to be there. Would you uh, recommend uh, that if you're staying, and, and you can mention particular properties if you want, Marriott? For example, would uh, this be a time where you might want to ask when you're getting ready to, 
in a book of stay, whether there is a, a pending uh, strike uh, or something going on. Well, yeah, if you can, you can ask Marriott people, and I've found in the past that Marriott folks are pretty uh, are pretty good folks in terms of being honest with people. Um, the so that that I mean, I think they would be likely to tell you they don't want their guests coming. But also, if these things are kind of random and kind of wildcat, they may not always know when they're happening or how long they're going to be, kind of like the air traffic controller strikes in Europe, uh, where they, they just kind of pop up out of nowhere. So it's just something to kind of be aware of if you have a meeting or you're going, like I'm going to a convention in Milwaukee in about six weeks, staying at a Marriott hotel for five nights. So, you know, it gets to be a week out. I'm probably going to be on the phone to that hotel. I'm probably going to look at their Facebook page and their Yelp page and just see if there's, have there been any problems, any picketers or anything like that. It's just, you know, I have a tendency to be a person who kind of tends to, doesn't mean that you're necessarily going to head it off, but you might, if you saw that the hotel was already a target of a problem, then that might be your clue to go find someplace else to stay or, you know, change your trip to another time or. Well, being a tour director for many, many years, Mm -hmm. um, you know, you book a lot of stays. Uh, Have you and your travelers ever, you know, either been alerted in advance of uh, somebody give you a warning that, gee, we see you're coming and you're bringing, you know, 30 people or whatever. And we were having a a strike. Have you ever run across that and to disrupt any of your Trips. You run across it sometimes, but people don't aren't always hotels aren't really upfront about telling you about it. They mm-hmm. they they will give you these kind of encrypted messages that that hypothetically will let them off the hook for telling you something was up and you should have said something, but is worded in such a way that you won't say anything, that you won't become alarmed. Got it. So uh, you, you really have to be careful. We, we had, we seem to be through it now, but for a while we had a situation where, um, hotels business has been so good for so long that many of them were due for renovations, you know, just replacements of things like mattresses and carpets and, and things like that, that were dirty and needed to be replaced, but couldn't be replaced because business so was so good. They didn't want to shut down part of the hotel right. in order to do it. And so eventually, after the stuff set in storage for a year, year and a half, I mean, I know hotels where this happened, they, you know, it was costing them more money to store the stuff than it would be to replace it. So finally, they had to shut down some rooms in the hotel. So that was a little bit of a problem for a while. You were seeing hotels that, you know, they were just shutting down for renovations because the renovations were were way past due. That we seem to seem to kind of sort of be past that now. With that in mind, and you mentioned about, you know, shutting down for repairs and so forth, I've had a couple of situations where I booked uh, a resort stays. Uh, one was with Diamond International uh, and uh, in Florida. And some weeks before the trip, I get an email that says, oh, by the way, um, we want to let you know there's some construction going on mm-hmm. at our resort. Uh, there will be some areas, and they the lobby has been moved to another location, uh, and uh, the golf course is now closed. Now, there are other golf courses nearby, but this happened to be a uh, a resort where it's on a golf course. And uh, so, w- with that being said, what uh, suggestions would you have to to travelers that may get those emails or calls in regards to? You know, construction going on, things changing. I'm not after a, you've already made the the reservations. I'm not a huge fan 
of TripAdvisor and Yelp and stuff like that for reviews. I think that there's a lot of room there, and it's been proven that not all those reviews are written by honest people, that some of them are staged and and rigged, and, and competition is writing bad reviews about other people. But in this situation, those can be invaluable because you can go there and you can see what are people talking about who have stayed in the hotel recently. Are they talking about problems with the renovations? And, and Because these are things that people will talk about on those, sometimes even unfairly, they will talk about them. But they definitely will talk about them. So that's a good place to go. If you're notified that your hotel has some issues, um, then you want to go someplace where some neutral pictures might be posted and if you have any suspicions at all you want to call the hotel and you want to ask some solid questions or better yet um send get an administrative email and send some questions so they'll have to answer them in writing so they will have to tell you you know yes uh, we we had a hotel uh last january in san jose that we were using at an embassy suites hotel for a figure skating event down there mm-hmm. that uh, the the the, the group got down there and the tour director called in and said there is a tractor parked in the lobby of the hotel. That's how much of rent under renovation it is. There is a full size tractor in the lobby of the hotel. He said that is representative of how much chaos is going on here. So um, I said, well, you know, immediately take pictures. I mean, if you get into a situation like that where you got in and especially if the hotel kind of sort of warned you, but the warning didn't fit the, the, the crime, then then that's where you really want to take pictures. And you want to be reasonable about it. You want to say to the hotel, look, you know, fix this. Walk me to someplace else. Give me a refund. Somehow make this right. But if they're not willing to do that, then you've got, you know, pictures and you have, you can at least warn other travelers about coming there and, and, and getting themselves into trouble. We are the Travel Guys, Mark and Tom, brought to you by Sports Leisure Vacations. Again, at TravelGuysRadio.com. Not only uh, the stuff that we we discuss on the program and links to our guests, but a lot of other cool stuff is available for you to uh, poke around. We put cool stuff up there, like the best pizza place in every state. If you go to TravelGuysRadio.com, you can see a list of the best pizza place in every state. The one in in, uh, California is a place in North Beach. And I'm forgetting now what it was, but I looked when when I posted this. But anyway, there are things like that. That you can find at TravelGuysRadio.com. Tom, um, this is something that I saw. Is it rude to tip a non non round number? Were you ever a server? No, no. So you're, you maybe you're not that. I wonder, Luis, were you ever Luis? Were you a were you a server? A non round number. Yes, I worked in the restaurant industry for a while. Okay, so is it? This is a guy is asking. He said he went to a restaurant. He tipped a non round number which he said was about 19%. I mean, he, he tipped a round number. He tipped uh, he tipped $6.49 to bring the bill to an even number for his credit card purposes, and the waiter kind of gave him some grief about that, and we're all trying to figure out why that would be. No idea. I can understand if it was change and you didn't want to you know, carry the change around because it would all add up at the end of a shift, but if it's on the credit card, I couldn't see why that would bother anybody. Yeah, I would say it, it's, it's, it would seem like that having you yeah, know, I any think kind the of... Same thing because the get... guy said, well, I could have left just $6 instead of six forty nine, and that would have you know, been yeah. a more round number. Anyway, 49 I mean, just, pennies. If you're a server or something yeah. like that and you know why people shouldn't leave, uh, round, shouldn't leave rounded tips... Uh, 921-1530 is the number here, and you could call us and tell us, and maybe we would even put that on the air. When we come back, 
We are going to talk about rules for the road, but not just rules for any time on the road. Rules for the road for 1914. Let's go back a hundred years to ride the Travel Guys time machine and to ride the Lincoln Highway across the country. Rules for traveling across the country in 1914. Next on the Travel Guys. Welcome. Here we are again. It's uh, Mark and Tom. We are the Travel and Entertainment Guys. You can join us every Sunday, 3 to 4 o'clock for this little program. And if uh, you happen to miss one or you'd like to go back and review something that we talked about on one of our shows, you can find our podcasts at TravelGuysRadio.com or simply go to your iHeartRadio app and where they have podcasts, just uh, Google uh, Travel or Travel Guys and you'll find them there as well. You're just a glutton for punishment. You can listen to the Travel Guys twice a week. Lucky you. <laughs> um, I do quite often. Uh, really? No. No, you don't. I, I I listen to us in while we're on the air, actually. I listen to our voice. Never mind. I would like to say that that's true, but clearly by... You know, obviously, some of the content and activities that go on to the show, we're not paying a lot of attention. Um, I've been listening. I've been listening to the baseball playoffs because I stumbled on two. Of course, we don't mention the Giants because they're not part of the playoff system this year. Um, And one of the teams that is is a team that we don't like to talk about much. Um, Anyways, uh, I stumbled on the Milwaukee Brewers radio broadcast. Mm-hmm. And the great thing about it was the Brewers baseball radio announcer is Bob Euchre. Now, if you're an old baseball movie guy, you know there was a baseball movie called Major League Baseball, mm-hmm. uh, Major League, many right. years ago, and Euchre was the announcer. Yes, sir. And he's known for these Bob Euchre seats, these seats that are in the upper reaches of the stadium. So anytime you're in a stadium, a baseball stadium, and you're far away from the action, the seats are known as Bob Euchre seats. Anyway, Bob must be 150 years old, and he's still the broadcaster for the Milwaukee Brewers. And he's the biggest homer on the planet. And it's fun to listen to him. That's and of course, good. the, the Brewers, are, Brewers are doing well. So I don't know what this has to do with the travel show, but anyway, I just let's go back there slightly. There you go. And now that you're digressing, let's digress back a hundred years. It's 1914, uh-huh. and it's time to hit the road on the infamous Lincoln Highway right. between uh, what uh, Chicago, the New York, uh, back to uh, the West Coast. Yeah, all so, the way from Times Square to San Francisco. So what kind of what kind of tips? And trouble can we get into? Well, um, know that about 35 miles an hour was the fastest you could go. That was considered to be mm-hmm. pretty much breakneck speed if you had flat land where you could see directly ahead of you and there was enough room for somebody to pass you. And all those stretches were, were not very common. Um, Lincoln Highway crossed 14 states, 128 counties, went through 500 cities. It was originally 3,388 miles long. Although over time they reduced that by about 250 miles by making the route more direct. Now Route 66 uh, is about 2,400 miles from Chicago to Los Angeles. So this ended up being 3,100 miles, basically from New York to San Francisco. And back then in 1914, approximately 150 vehicles made the transcontinental trip all well, the way across the country. 150. How many tires would so they about have? As extra many, tires about would they as have to probably take? Probably many who get on the bridge and in going into New York City in right. probably uh, four minutes, you know, on an average <laughs> day now. 
Um, well, and listen, uh, here's it, it, it would, if you wanted to go, want to travel Lincoln Highway from New York to San Francisco, it would only cost you, with three friends, mm-hmm. would only cost you, covering 3,400 miles, $240. It didn't, however, include, that included everything except tires and repairs. I understand uh, from what I've read, there was a lot of that. Yeah, a lot of it. Best part about it, it said in the advertisements, it would only t- it would take only 19 days, driving approximately 10 hours a day, averaging 18 miles an hour. And in the ads, they said, now compare that to a wagon train. <laughs> <laughs> Here's some tips, though, some ideas for uh, if you were driving, uh, maybe some of these might still be valid today. Over 100 miles, uh, 100 years later. Don't wait until the gasoline is almost gone before looking for more. Uh, don't allow the water can to be anything but full. Very important things. Don't allow the car to be without food at any time. Now, that's different from gasoline. This is people food. Traveling can make one hungry. So you don't want to be without food because cars were not that dependable. Your car could break down. You have no food. Then now you've got no way to eat. Mm-hmm, okay. So that, that becomes very important. Don't fail to have warm clothing. If you need to know why. Just see all of the above things. Don't carry loaded firearms. That's oh, what it says. Okay. Don't fail to put out your campfire. Don't forget the yellow goggles. I'm not sure why yellow was important. Maybe that that was to help you see better at night. I don't know. I I, I don't know. We don't forget the camp for ice. The what? Camp for ice. C a m p h o r. Is is that something like you put on a? Yeah, a, a that's sore what I'm guessing. Camper, like, yeah, maybe like for sunburn or something like yeah. that. Uh, don't ford water without first wading through it. You'll dry off soon enough. <laughs> so don't take, you know, they say these days, you know, don't take a chance, take your, your right. vehicle into water. Well, back then it was, you know, don't forward into water, go into it. Don't drive more than 25 miles an hour. Things will break. Don't carry your good clothes. Ship them ahead. This because, is great stuff. Isn't this great stuff? Don't wear le- leather puttees, P-U-T-T-E-E-S. I don't know. I don't know what that is. Use canvas. Don't drink alkali water, much of the water found alongside of the road. Don't wear new shoes. Uh, and then there's unlisted, there is more advice. Hunger and thirst are not pleasant companions. Neither can a man work if he is half starved and his mouth dry from dust and lack of water. Be sure to wear heavy socks in your sleeping bags. Uh, mud holes are not uncommon on the Lincoln Highway, so extracting yourself is an important skill. Now, that, this is this is really important to know. If you're stuck on the highway in 1914, and this happened a lot, especially in the middle part of the country, dig a hole in front of the automobile into which the front tires can go. Now, you're stuck in the mud. Picture this. Mm-hmm. So you're digging a hole in front of the front tires, someplace for them to go. Put sagebrush in front of the rear wheels. Got it. Okay. As the car moves, block the rear wheels so the car cannot go backwards. Dig a new hole in front and continue until you're free. Wow, what a great idea. I'd give that a try. If you if you didn't get all those and you want to look at them, they're at TravelGuysRadio.com. Time for us to go. We will be back again next weekend. Thank you, Mark. Remember, dance like nobody's watching. Stay well, my friends. We'll see you next time.